Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. When things are not going according to your plan, what do you do? How do you respond to times that are confusing, things that happen that are unexpected, things that, that you feel are not proper? Now, we all find ourselves at times in such a situation. And in one sense, this is exactly what's happening in the palace of this king by the name of Ahasuerosh. Take out your Bibles and look with me to where we left off last week. Last week, we started this, this book of Esther, known as the Scroll of Esther. We concluded the first part of chapter 1, and now we're ready for chapter 1, part 2. And we saw last week how there was these great events, banquets, parties, with, with large numbers of people. That King Ahasuerosh made one for all of the leaders in his 127 providences. And then, in the capital city, he made one for all the citizens, both the great and the small, those who were highly significant and those who had no significance whatsoever in his administration. And he did this for seven days, and the key event on the seventh day, when the king's heart was full of wine, meaning he was not operating under a proper influence. He commanded his wife, Vashti, to come before those at the men's banquet. Remember, there was a men's banquet and a women's banquet. And normally, according to that culture, things were separated. And he began to violate the norm. And the reason why he did this is because he was king. And he felt his position as king allowed him to change laws and times and culture. It was all rooted in his pride. And usually, when we operate according to our pride, that desire to lift up ourselves, in fact, places other people down. It's a put down. Pride causes us to put down others. And this is exactly why many of the sages of Israel see what he asked Vashti to do was not just come before them and, and meet them, but to expose herself, to humiliate herself. That's what pride does. When I operate in pride, I am putting down, I am humiliating others. And Vashti, because she knew not for herself, 
but because she knew that this was not right, it violated the norm, she refused. And there was a political crisis. How could it be that someone, even the queen, how could someone disobey the king's command? And because she did, and because of this significant position as queen, there was a crisis in what to do. The king was furious. We left off last week with him being almost out of control. His anger caused him, the word as you recall, caused him to, to froth at the mouth and such anger. And there was a crisis. So when things are not going well, when you find yourself in a position of confusion, bewilderment, not knowing what to do because what you're experiencing, what's taking place, how do you respond? Well, we're going to see that the king, under the leadership of his leaders, his advisors, they make a determination. And here's what I want you to see. They made that without consulting anything scriptural. They were a pagan empire. They didn't pray. They didn't seek anything. But they only did things according to the wisdom, the knowledge of a human being. What men thought. And whenever we operate, whenever we make decisions, respond to things based upon human intellect, what we know, how we think, according to the wisdom of men. This is going to give the opportunity to the enemy, I'm speaking about Satan, to come into that situation and use it for his purposes rather than that which is good. So let's begin where we left off. Look with me, Esther chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse verse 13. We read, the king said to his sages, and the word here, chachamim, the wise ones. Verse 13, the king said to his sages, the ones who know the seasons. And this word seasons can also simply be translated the times, meaning they were the ones purported to have some degree of wisdom to know the times and how to respond within these things that were presenting themselves. That was their position. So again, they didn't turn to prayer. They didn't turn to, to the Word of God. They didn't look at this from a spiritual perspective. They responded based upon the, the knowledge of man. For it says... For thus the word of the king before all those who know law and judgment. So these were the ones who were responsible for, for issuing the laws and also enforcing them. This is who he's speaking. So the word went to them from the king on how to respond to this violation a queen Vashti. Verse 14. The one close to him, 
Now, notice it's in the singular, the one close to him. But we're actually going to deal with seven individuals. And these are the ones in unity. They would bring things before the king that they all agreed upon so that there was a consensus. And that's why it says, the one close to the king, literally unto him, and these were the ones known as, and their names were, Karshena, Shatar, Admata, Tarshish, Miris, Marsena, Memuchan. These were the seven cabinet officials of Paras, Umidai, the Persians and the Medes. And these were the ones that saw the face of the king, the one setting first in his kingdom. So these were the ones who, and there were seven of them, that had that special responsibility. They set first in the place of prominence, and they were his advisors, and they were at a regular basis seeing the king's face. They had access to the king. They knew him like none of the other leaders in the capital and throughout those 127 providences. Now look, if, if you would, to, to verse 15. According to the law, and this is what they were doing. They were seeking what in the law, based upon what we've established and the punishments for these laws. What should be done? How should we handle this situation? According to the law, what to be done with the queen, the queen Vashti, concerning which she did not do the word of the king Ahasuerus in the hand of these officials, and it's these seven eunuchs that took her the commandment to appear in this manner. So they summarize once more what the crime was. They were clear on this, and there's a very important factor. We're going to see that not only did they understand this refusal of the queen to be against the king, her husband, but to be against the authority of this empire. And secondly, against the officials. So it was an attack. It was an action that threatened the authority of this empire. This is how they saw this event. Verse 16. And a man by the name of Memuchan, he said before the king and the officials, so one of these seven, now not these seven eunuchs, but rather one of the seven who sat close first in the prominent place in the king's king's cabinet, one spoke by the name of Memuchan, and he spoke this before the king and the cabinet officials, and he says, not against the king only, did Vashti the queen do wrong? For 
against all the officials and all the people which are in every providence of the king Ahasuerosh. So literally it says, not just every providence, but all the providences of the king Ahasuerosh. Now, what the scripture is doing is informing us, teaching us, that this event is huge in their mind. It is an attack against the king's authority. And if the king's authority is set aside, if it can be rebelled against, they see this as bringing down the very empire. There has to be exact obedience to the laws that the king represents. So this is huge in their mind. Secondly, we're going to see that they see this having implications for every aspect of this empire. And the reason why I say it, look now for, for, for verse 17, where it says, For will go forth the word of the queen against all the officials, in order to, and the next word means to think little of, to show contempt. It's a word of, of having a feeling of, of despising someone. So it says, this word that the queen spoke, it will go forth against all the officials, and it will show contempt for their husbands and, and in their eyes. And they were saying, so they see this as an attack against the leadership and that it's going to spread to the cabinet officials' wives, that they're going to likewise show contempt for their husbands and, and have contempt for their husbands in their eyes in regard to this matter. Verse 17, second part. And the king, Ahasuerus, said to bring, when, when the king said to bring Vashti, the queen, before him, and she did not come. So they summarize this violation against that it's going to bring about contempt, despising, thinking little of by the women of the leaders, the other leaders. It's going to spread. They see it as, a, as an infection that has to be dealt with and dealt with properly. Now, if you paid attention, you've seen three times them stating how dangerous this is, what's going to be the outcome of it, but they haven't said what to be done in regard to it. They are, are very much aware of, in their minds, the damage that this is going to cause to the empire if it's not dealt with properly. Verse 18. This day, the, the cabinet officials' wives they will say, and the cabinet officials of Paras Umidai, the Persians and the Mede, these cabinet officials' wives will say, this day, 
when they heard the word of the queen, and they will say so to all the officials of the king. And what will be the outcome? In order to, here again, show contempt, to, to think little of their husbands, and notice the last word in verse 18, it's that same word for anger. This word that speaks of, and I mentioned it before last week and this week, that will cause such great, great anger as an animal frothing at the mouth in rage. Now, what they're saying is two things. If this isn't handled properly, everyone's going to hear about it because it was done publicly. And therefore, the wives will have contempt for their husbands. And the outcome of that is going to be the same thing that, that the king Ahasuerus felt when he had great anger, wrath, and he was wanting to display it. How is this going to be dealt with? Because it's going to be a source of destruction among the leadership, and it's going to spread throughout all the providences. And what's going to be? Not an a empire of, of re regulations, one that's administered properly, but there's going to be anger in every household. That's their concern. Verse 19. Now we're going to see them begin to reveal what the, the response that their recommendation is. Verse 19. If concerning the king is good. So if what we're about to share with the king, if the king sees this as proper, if the king sees this as good, and here's their recommendation. Let there go forth the word, and it's the word of the kingdom. So we might have this as a royal decree. Let there go forth a royal decree from before him, meaning under his auspice, that, that he puts this forth, that it be written in the law of the Persians and the Medes, which cannot be changed. Now, this is something that's going to be repeated a few different places in the, the scroll of Esther. And we see it other places in the Bible as well. For example, in the book of Daniel. And that is the, the Medes and the Persians. When they issued a royal decree, it could not be changed ever. And the reason for this is if they were operating under the, the leadership of a king that they saw as almost divine, supernatural, then how could the king ever make a mistake? And therefore, there would never be a reason for a law to change because the king's word is perfect. Now, what we see here is an a example of how they took that which belongs to God, God's character, God's attribute, the fact that his word's perfect, the fact that God's word does not return empty, it's powerful, and it's accurate. So they were wanting to profess and to demonstrate that the king's word, 
is just like the word of God because it's to show the the divinity, so-called divinity of the king, that he is not a mere man, but, but he is a God. This is why these laws are written and spoken of in this way. Look again at verse 19. It says, if concerning the king it's good, let there go out this royal decree before him, and may, be, may it be written in the law of the Persians and the Medes that it cannot be changed, it cannot be altered. Which, because that Vashti did not come before the king Ahasuerus, and, and that her, and this would be her royal allotment, the, the part of the, the kingdom that belongs to her, let the king give it to, and now we have a, another. But this another implies a spouse, a female that would receive Vashti's allotment that would receive Vashti's prominence, her place. Let the king give it to another woman that is better than her. Now, what's interesting is if this king is, is of, of the ability to make decisions perfectly, we just saw his choice of Vashti was not a good one. Because now he's going to find one better than her. So what he chose initially in Vashti was not good. So it exposes him as far from perfect. That's what the text wants us to glean from that. Their laws, their thoughts don't even hold in their society. They are exposed as incorrect, not accurate. But nevertheless, we have what's going to take place. And that is that there's going to be a new queen sought for Ahasuerus. Now, even though we're going to see very quickly in our study within this book of Esther that there's coming an evil one, and I'm speaking about Haman, it is very significant, and we need to understand why the book of Esther is ordered the way it is. Because Haman is going to represent an attack, an attack to destroy the Jewish people. And this attack to destroy the Jewish people is one that's happened before and will happen again. Ultimately, it will be the Antichrist that carries out the largest and the most destructive attack upon the Jewish people, even worse than the Holocaust. And he'll do so in the future, our future, in the last days. But likewise, just like Haman is not going to be successful, neither will the Antichrist. And furthermore, the thing that I mentioned last week, and I want to repeat now, is the fact that God is working and using this event in order to place Vashti 
in the royal palace in order that she is used by God in order to be an instrument that God is going to bring salvation, deliverance, redemption to the Jewish people in the midst of Haman's attack. And this is what I said last week, and I want to emphasize again, and that is that God is already at work in this situation. He knows the future. He's truly the one that knows the times and the seasons, not these so-called sages of this wicked empire. Only God knows, and he reveals it to his prophets, as the scripture says. God doesn't do anything unless first revealing it to the prophets so that the people of God, that we can hear prophetic instruction and respond and be positioned where we can behave in a God-glorifying manner, that we can demonstrate truth in the midst of these changes. So God is at work in order to position Vashti as queen before Haman is even mentioned in the book. God supplies the solution before the problem even manifests itself. And that's why we can have confidence and assurance that if we submit to God, if we follow his word, if we're led by his spirit, that we are going to overcome the attacks of the enemy. So once again, look at verse, verse 19 where it says that he's going to do something, that the king is going to, he's being offered, suggested that he finds another queen. Verse 20. And the pitgam, that is the, the decree, the word of the king was heard, which, which he did in all of his kingdom, for it was great. So this word that the king was, was agreeing to, that there be a new queen sought for him, this word was heard in all the, the empire, and it was seen as, as great. What was so great? That he was going to divorce and find another one. Now, this tells us something. It tells us something that truly describes much of the world. And that is that people believe that divorce is a wonderful, a great solution. That through it comes great things. Well, we're not going to see that. We're going to see that in a few minutes. That the enemy is going to use this this plan in order to try to exterminate the Jewish people. And it's only God who takes that which is evil and turns it into good that is able to utilize the, the futility of man's wisdom, man's intelligence. God is able to turn that into that which is good for those who love him, those who are called to his purposes, and those who are, are committed to his truth. So look again at verse 20. The word of the king, this royal decree, was heard what he had done, and it was heard in all 
his kingdom, and it was considered to be great. For all the women were to give, and this is how it went forth. Yes, there was going to be a, a selection of a, another woman, better than Vashti, for the king. But also with it went forth this decree that said that all the women, that they will give honor to their husbands. From the great ones, meaning the most illustrious families, unto the smallest, the least significant. That every woman was to give honor to her husband. Verse 21. And this matter was good. He approved it. This matter was good in the eyes of the king and the cabinet officials. What the king had done, according to the word of this one official by the name of Memuchan, verse 22. And he sent, this would be the king under his authority, he sent forth, and this is a word, Sepharim. Now, in modern Hebrew, this is simply the word for books. It is a written decree. Now, this has significance for a few reasons. First of all, many times that a, a law would go forth and they would send forth individuals, runners, that went from city to city and they would announce it orally. They would, would, would herald the decree of the king. And through that, people would be informed because not everyone could read. But here they put it into writing, and another reason for that is to show its significance. Some of the commentators, and this is where I'm getting it, saying those decrees that are written down, it's to emphasize more than simply the oral ones, it's to emphasize the significance of them. That this is a big deal that this is going to have significant implications. Now, for us, the reader, we're supposed to see also great significance in these two things, that a, another queen is going to be sought and that women are supposed to give honor to their husbands. Now, why are these two things important? Because... God is going to use both of these in order to bring about deliverance, salvation, a physical salvation with a spiritual message to the people of God and to all the nations of the world. We're going to see that this book of Esther is not simply to the Jewish people about their history and their victory. No, it has great implications and a message to all those in the world. And again, God is going to use this decree in a mighty way to teach us something very important. And remember what the two decree is. The first one, a new queen. Secondly, that there's a law that a, a woman must give honor to to her husband throughout 
all the providences of this empire, which means throughout the world. Look again at, at verse, verse 22. And these books were sent, meaning sent by the king, to every to all the providences of the king, to every providence and providence, and it was written. Now, again, this is to emphasize, if we missed it the first time, to say that these were written decrees. Not that the ones that are just herald are not binding, but it's to emphasize the significance of them. That this is going to have a lasting consequence. That this has great significance in the future. So these decrees were sent to every providence and providence of the king. It was written down and into all the people and to all the people in the language, in his language. Now, people here is singular. In the Hebrew language, we have the word am or amim. And so when it says in his language, it means in the language of every people. Now think about this. There were 127 providences, and probably some of these providences maybe spoke the same language, but there was also larger providences that may have had multiple dialects. And this was written, think about the fact that it was written in every language of the world. Meaning this has, and this is what the reader should take away from it, this has significant implications for every tribe, every tra tra tongue, every people, everyone. This is why this book of Esther, when we read it properly, when we read it according to the literalness of the text, and we don't rush through it, but we pay attention to all the bits of information that are contained here, it tells us, it reveals to us that this scroll of Esther has great, great significance. And let me pause for a moment and remind you of what I said last week. And that is because it is a scroll, a Megillah. It is going to have revelation, and it's revelation for a change, a kingdom change. This book is going to reveal to us things that we need to rightly understand if we're going to have the proper perception for the last days. So, once again, our last verse tonight, look at verse 22. These books the king sent to all the providences of the king, to every providence and providence in a written form, to the people, and each people in its own language. And what was the message? Now, here again. We're coming to the end of chapter 1, and it concludes with a very significant, a, a proclamation of great spiritual implication. What does it say? For a man to rule 
in his house and to speak according to the language of his people. Now, what it's saying is this. Women need to submit to their husbands, but each man, he is able. His culture, language is synonymous with culture. It is a word of, of allowing every man to, to speak, to say things, to command, to do things according to his culture, what he desires. Now, why is this significant? Well, remember, this Megillah, this scroll of Esther, it teaches us last day's principles. If we don't acknowledge that, we don't believe that, we're not going to gain what we should from this study. And we see a similarity between this empire that's already established and the Antichrist empire. Realize this. There is going to be an empire that rises out of Europe. This is prophetically what we learn from the scripture. There is an empire that will rise out of Europe that is going to bring stability out of chaos. It is going to set things in an order, but not a godly order, but a satanic order. And it is going to bring about temporarily, it is going to bring about peace, security, and prosperity. And much of the world is going to love this. But here's the problem. It is totally going to be pagan. And from this empire, once it brings things into peace, stability, and prosperity, then, according to Revelation 13, then the Antichrist is going to rise up, manifest himself, and become the leader of this empire. This is what we're going to see later on in the book of Esther that there was an event that was conceived by the people, by the leaders, as bringing great chaos, wrath in every household, disunity, and a new administration, not different people, but a new law goes forth. And this law says, basically, Women submit to their husbands, but men, you do what is right according to your culture. This is exactly how the Antichrist is going to begin. And he is going to say initially that everyone can worship according to their own desires. That, that your idolatrous practice doesn't have to submit to anything, but you are free to worship and follow your religion as you see fit. Do what is right in your own eyes, and each person's religion is just as, as warranted, just as, as credible, and, and worthy as anyone else's. Now, this is going to be popular. People like to hear such things. 
What I do in my eyes has the stamp of a religious, religious approval so that I can carry out my will. This is, in essence, what's going on. It's elevating men to do what they want and having their household submit to it, that they rule in their home. This is exactly what initially, I want to emphasize this, initially what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to bring an abrupt change, and we're going to see that there's going to be a change as well. Because once things get into place, according to this new way, then Haman, this, this, this typology of the, the Antichrist, is going to be manifested. So let me just simply say, this book of Esther has great significance for us in having a perspective that's derived from this book in order to help us understand what will be in the last days, that we'll have discernment spiritually, prophetically to know who is the Antichrist and how his administration, even before his manifestation, how his administration is initially going to order things. But there's going to be a change. And likewise, in this book, under the leadership of Haman, there's coming a change. A change which is rooted in the purposes of Satan, but God is going to triumph. God is going to be victorious. And if you want that same victory, you want to experience the triumph, then you need to be in a new covenant relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua. I'll close with that until next week when we continue on and we begin chapter 2 of this book of Esther. Until then, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.